And this evening, we're going to be in Numbers chapter 22. So please uh, open your Bibles to Numbers chapter 22. Uh, This is um, an interesting story, an interesting segment of the history of the Israelites. And we're going to kind of take a different perspective. We're going to go from the viewpoint of the Israelites and Moses and Aaron and, you know, all of what they've been going through. And now we're going to kind of go to the other side, how it is that the inhabitants of the land in which they were now in and advancing through are looking at the Israelites. So it's kind of a different perspective here, but we are going to take a look at a prophet and a king and some servants and a donkey and, um, you know, this, uh, what we're going to go through is very well known. It's something that is common um, to many, but I, I think sometimes we, we don't um, understand it. We, we don't quite get how it is that the Lord and Balaam, which is the prophet, are exchanging in, in, in what happens here because um, it kind of appears as if the Lord changes his mind. And... From what we know of God's character, does he change his mind? The answer is no, right? He doesn't change his mind. He isn't like man to where, you know, he says one moment and then you can convince him otherwise to do what's simply against his will, right? We know that 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 just doesn't happen. Why? Because here's the reason why. The first time he says no, it's because he says it perfectly, there's there's no variation. There's no turning from that because there's nothing that would come to his knowledge to help him decide differently. You understand what I'm saying? It's with his perfect knowledge that he always makes the right decision. He makes the correct one. It's just us. We need to we need to get it, really. And so we're going to go over that. We're going to see what it is that, that uh, happens here in this chapter and how it is that as Balaam insists on moving forward, how it is that the Lord handles that. And, um, and so let's go before the Lord, let's pray, and then we'll get into this chapter. Father, we, uh, we thank you, Lord, for this time that you've given to us. I pray, Lord, that you would bless our time together, that you would speak to us, Father, and that as we do study um, and we read about Balaam and Balak and the donkey and everything that takes place here, Father, that we would Lord, realize that perhaps sometimes we do the very same thing that, uh, that Balaam was doing. That um, sometimes we insist where we should really cease and desist. That we should just stop and, uh, and simply be sensitive to the direction that you give us initially. And so, Lord, we want to commit this evening into your hands, Lord. We thank you for this moment. And, Lord, we just ask for your anointing. Lord, that you would uh, teach us, that you would speak to us, and that you would minister deeply. Father, may your word um, do that work which you have designed and um, intended for it to do in our lives this evening. So we thank you, Father. We commit this evening into your hands, this time of study, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's start out with just the first verse. Um, Just kind of gives us... um, a good orientation gives us an idea of where we're at. So Numbers chapter 22, verse 1, it says, Then the people of Israel set out and camped in the plains of Moab, beyond the Jordan at Jericho. So let's stop there. I just want to kind of 
get our bearings, you know, understand exactly where they're at. They are east of the Jordan. They are from Jerusalem. They are straight across. And um, I'm sorry, Jericho, they're straight across. Um, So they're east of Jericho, east of the Jordan. And um, they're actually uh, north-northwest of Moab. So we have that area which is uh, basically east of the Dead Sea. So if you're looking at a map of Israel and its surrounding area, you would kind of get an understanding of exactly the location that we're looking at this evening. The Israelites at this point have continued to advance toward the Promised Land, and they're pretty close from getting across to the other side. But they're not there just yet. They're, they're considered to be in the plains of Moab. They've encamped there. And, um, and they're located about, or actually less than 50 miles from the Moabites, who we're going to read about in just a few moments. So they're not that far. I mean, 50 miles, you get up on a hill, and you can, you can see on a good day, you can see 50 miles. And, and there, if there's a mass of people, you see them, especially if they're on in, you know, encamped in some plains. So let's, uh, let's continue on. Verse 2 says, And Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites, and Moab was in great dread of the people, because they, they were many. Moab was overcome with fear of the people of Israel, and Moab said to the elders of Midian, This horde will now lick up all that is around us, as the ox, ox licks up the grass of the field. So Balak, the son of Zippor, who was king of Moab at the time, sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor, at Pethor, which is near the river in the land of the people of Amah, to call him, saying, Behold, a people has come out of Egypt. They cover the face of the earth, and they are dwelling opposite me. Come now, curse this people for me, since they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them from the land. For I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed." So Balak is in fear of the Israelites. He sees them in the distance. He considers them to be so numerous that they're covering the face of the earth. You know, it's just a saying, right? It's like, man, they're like, there's an amazing amount of these people. They are just north of us. And he, he was in fear. He was in fear for the Moabites. And, and we know that uh, he had called some of um, his people, the messengers, to go out and and um, and solicit solicit Balaam for his help. Now Balak was the king of Moab, and what he had heard of was that the Israelites had some great victories over some of uh, Moab's neighbors. Um, so and so Balak was greatly alarmed. I mean, he heard that hey, southern Canaan had be taken had been taken by the Israelites. He knows that the Amorites. Um, were taken by the Israelites, and so were the Bashanites. All of these people now were taken over, you know, they were conquered by the Israelites. And he thought, oh man, we're, we're next, we're next. So this alarmed Balak, and although he was prepared for battle against them, he was hardly confident of knowing a victory over the great numbers of the Israelites, um, just because he knew what he knew about them. Now, in Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 9, because of this, 
really, Balak shouldn't have had any concern if he just knew this, because God had told the Israelites not to harass Moab or contend with them in battle. He says, For I will not give you any of their land for possession, because I have given R to the people of Lot for possession. And so we know Lot to be the nephew of Abraham, and how it was that he had given this land to Lot and basically his people. He was saying, this is, this is not a land for you to occupy Israel. And had Balak known that, well, he would have just let them be and you go ahead and go on your way and keep going. But he didn't know that. It's obvious that Balak had no idea and was prepared to do everything possible, not only to defend Moab, but also to preemptively strike Israel so as to not even give them, give them an opportunity to come down into their land. So Balak got this idea to employ the help of a known prophet, Balaam, to curse the Israelites. Balak sent messengers to Balaam to solicit his help by cursing these people. He says, you know, if, if he curses them, they'll be cursed. If he blesses them, they'll be blessed. We know this. And, ba- and he knew this was the reputation of Balaam. Now, Balaam appears out of nowhere. He's like Melchizedek. You know, it's like he just appears. We don't know much about him. Um, just little is known about the man. But what is well known about him at this time is ability to bless and curse effectively. And Balak seems to be confident in that. So he sends for him. It was in 1967 that an extra biblical text was found in Deir Allah in the Jordan Valley. And it mentions the cursing prophet. This is pretty cool. I mean, when you have these, these, um, these findings, you know, it's, it's pretty cool because it basically always seems to support what the Bible has already given us, right? So in 1967, this, um, this extra-biblical text was found, and uh, it mentions the cursing prophet Balaam, son of Beor. That's exactly who we're talking about here. And in 1989, in the same location, a tablet was discovered with Pethor inscribed on it. Therefore, many conclude. So in this very same area, because Pethor was, uh, was a location that they weren't too sure where it was. They were thinking it was in Mesopotamia. Well, that was a long ways for Balak to summons Balaam to come out and travel on donkey to the location where they were. And so that was kind of questionable. But now they find in the same place where they had found this, uh, this, this portion uh, of uh, text to where it had mentioned Balaam, son of Peor, the cursing prophet, um, they also found uh, something, a tablet that had the name Pethor on it. And that's the same location. Um, so this, with this, what, ha- what happened is the scholars are concluding now that the location where the two rivers come together and are referred to here are the rivers of Jabbok and Jordan. So that's that's actually the location. So I just thought I'd share that with you. This is pretty cool. Again, it's just substantiated. It's supported by those, those items that are found, um, you know, all this time later. All this time later. So this is where we're at. This location would be, again, north of where the Israelites were encamped, which would tell us that the messengers went around the Israelites to where Balaam was located to give him the message Balak had sent him. So... We know the king of Moab was south, right? The Israelites were north. So they had to go actually around them, up to this location, grab Balaam and bring him back down. And so just to give you an idea, again, of the location. 
the geography of everything. All right, so let's continue. Verse 7 says, So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the fees for divination in their hand. And they came to Balaam and gave him Balak's message. And he said to them, Lodge here tonight, and I will bring back word to you as the Lord speaks to me. So the princes of Moab stayed with Balaam. Stop there just for a moment. Balaam's services are requested, right? These men that Balak had sent to Balaam arrived and gave him the message. With them, they brought the diviner's fee. Brought with them, basically, a sack full of money. And this uh, apparently was a standard fee that was given to a prophet for his work. Now, Balaam, and more on this, this, this actually all plays into it. So I want you to make sure, you know, keep that in the back of your mind because that will help us understand the whole picture, okay, this diviner's fee. Now, Balaam heard what they said, and he didn't turn them away. Balak had told these messengers, hey, go, go tell this to Balaam and bring them here. He heard him out. He didn't turn him away. In fact, Balaam invited them to stay the night during the time that he would approach the Lord and seek his direction as to what he, the Lord, would like Balaam to do in this current situation. And I find this very interesting. I find it interesting. Uh, what's interesting is that Balaam should have immediately known that this was not right. If he was God's prophet, if he was, then he would also know who these people were. They're, they're, they're enemies of the Lord's people. They are His chosen people, and they're coming, and, and He would have known. This was God's prophet, right? Why would He have to seek the Lord for an answer as to what to do? Balak knew that there was something special about these people. This is King Balak. And that perhaps it was because of their spiritual strength that the Lord was on their side that they needed to be spiritually, quote-unquote, taken out. But Balaam, the question is, did Balaam not know this? King Balak did, but somehow Balaam just missed this. And I find that hard to believe. Uh, Tests come at us at times to reveal what is truly in our hearts. What is in the heart of man? Not just what comes out of our mouths. Because sometimes we can say certain things and sound really good, but in our hearts, we're thinking something completely different. But what will we do when we're confronted with a very difficult decision, decision to make. Those are times to where we're squeezed and what comes out is really what's in us, you know. It's like, what, what kind of a decision are we going to make when the stakes are high? When there's something that is dangled before us that is very tempting, very luring. Because that will reveal what is truly in our heart. Balaam's heart was immediately revealed. He received the diviner's fee and then sought the Lord and the question at this point is, as he received the diviner's fee, it didn't say that he rejected it. He said, hey, stay here for the night. Let me seek the Lord and see what he has to say. He's already going to get the fee. Why? Because in order to give a response, that's already given. So the question is, did he have a love for money? But it seems that before Balaam could even approach God, God approached Balaam. It's kind of like, I don't know, this picture came to mind to where Balaam said, hey, just hold on for one second. I'm going to go over here and I'm going to seek the Lord and see what he has to say. And he turns out and goes, oh, you're there, right? It's kind of like the Lord approached him immediately. (laughs) 
He didn't even have time to, to go to him is what we see here. And then we see, as we continue, verse 9 says, And God came to Balaam and said, Who are these men with you? And Balaam said to God, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent to me, saying, Behold, a people has come out of Egypt, and it covers the face of the earth. Now come, curse them for me. Perhaps I shall be able to fight against them and drive them out. God said to Balaam, You shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. So Balaam rose in the morning and said to the princes of Balak, Go to your own land, for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. So the princes of Moab rose and went to Balak and said, Balaam refuses to come with us. All right. So we see immediately God's response to Balaam. Immediately God approached Balaam and asked him who these men were. Now, do you believe that God did not know who these men were? Right? It's like when we're asked questions. They're leading questions, right? When he was looking for Adam and Eve. Where are you? Where are you? He already knew where they were. He asks us these questions to reveal something to us. Of course he knew, right? In God's mercy and patience, God asks Balaam who they were. Do you know who these men are? I want you to confess that to me. Just, just listen to your answer, okay? I'm asking you who these men are. Listen to your answer. Do you believe God did not know who these men were? Of course he knew. In God's mercy and patience, God asks Balaam, and something is revealed, right? Do you know who these men are? Do you really know who they are and what they are asking? It's like when we get asked sometimes repeatedly and those things come to our mind, it's kind of like, do you know what you're doing? Do you know what you're thinking? Do you know who these people are? Of course God knew, but he wanted Balaam to know, to recognize it. It's as if God were asking us, what is it that you're doing? What's in your hand? What are you looking at? He already knows all these things. What are you saying? What, What are you thinking? And it's not for him. Again, he's, he's omniscient. He knows all things. He's omnipresent. He's in all places at all times. He sees all, knows all. It, it's for us. He asks us these questions so that we would come to the place to where we realize, oh, I realize, okay, that's who they are. What am I thinking? He knows and he wants us to know, acknowledge and make a decision to turn from whatever it is that is not of the Lord. The bottom line, God's answer was what? I'll think about it. No. You simply no. No, you do not go with them. No, you do not curse these people. They are blessed. Period. That's it. It was very clear. You do not go, you do not curse them. They're blessed. But Balaam did not really, quote-unquote, get it. And it is revealed in his reply to the messengers the following day. The Lord has refused to let me go with you. 
it is strongly implied that Balaam desired to go with them, but the Lord did not allow him to go. It kind of reminds me of like when we really want to do something. You know, I remember as a, as a teenager, right? It's like, my mom won't let me go. I wanted to go, but she won't let me go. Right? It's kind of like that. And that's what we have here. And what this tells the other party is that this person is not doing it. Uh, that is, this person isn't the one making the decision it was made for him, although he wanted to go. But this person could potentially be persuaded if pushed to do so. In fact, it appears that Balak caught wind of this. He kind of understood this. Kind of potential he was vacillating is what Balaam Uh, Balaam was doing, just in his response. And that's what the enemy knows. He knows where where we are. Just a simple response, oh, it speaks volume. That's okay, just hang tight. We'll go at him again. Well, he does. Verse 15, once again, Balak sent princes, more in number and more honorable than these. And they came to Balaam and said to him, thus says Balak, the son of Zippor, Let nothing hinder you from coming to me, for I will surely do you great honor, and whatever you say to me, I will do. Come, curse this people for me. So Balak repeats the offer. He comes back at him. This time Balak sends people of greater prestige, a greater number even, and offer to Balaam a a, a great honor, greater riches. Like he's offering all this to him. To tell you the truth, this must have been an impressive situation. Here you have this, a number of people just coming like, Balaam, I I think this is for you. They're all coming. I mean, they, they look like pretty important people here. And they're coming in. And here they, they are. It's like, wow, I, I have the honor of having you here. And they offered him great honor. Talk about dangling a carrot in front of you. This is, um, you know, and, and I always, you know, I'm, I'm leery of these, these open doors, quote unquote, you know, that we're looking for. Because Sometimes we look for those things as Christians and, and we say, well, that's the Lord. You know, and I'm not always convinced of that. I, I'm not, because if we're looking for open doors, quote unquote, for, uh, for that to be justification or knowing that that is definitely confirmed to be the Lord's will, then we could be fooled very easily because we're looking for signs and wonders. We're looking for that which perhaps the enemy could deceive us by mimicking, giving us those wide open opportunities to come right through and make a huge mistake where the Lord has already said, no, you do not go there. Stop. We continue to move forward. Now, the Lord makes us fishers of men. That's what he desires to do, right? But did you know that Satan mimics the Lord as a fisher as he is a fisher of men also in a different way? The Lord for eternal life and Satan for death and destruction. He seeks to kill and steal and destroy, to devour, to completely destroy a man. 
So he, he fishes. I remember what Pastor Al Reese said one day in, in a, a, a leaders meeting, and he was talking to us, and, and he made this point, and I'll never forget it because he was saying how it is that Satan will wait. He's he's patient. And the same temptation, he hangs it out in front of you, perhaps when you're 15, dangles, dangles it out there, and you may say no at that time. Oh, he'll wait five five years. You're 20. Puts it out there again. No, no bite? Okay, no problem. I'll wait. 25, 30, 40, 50, 60. It's funny, at 60, it's like, okay, you know what? I'm past that. I'm going to kind of let my guard down. And what does the enemy do? Boom. He'll take you. It doesn't matter. To him, he doesn't care how old you are. If he can end your effectiveness as a Christian at 60, at 70, at 80, at 90, he'll do it. Because he seeks to destroy you. So, these temptations are before us. We need to discern those things and know when it's the Lord bringing us forward and when it is Satan that is dangling some temptation before us. What was happening to Balaam is exactly what many times happens to us if we don't decisively deal with the temptation the first time and it will come back again and again and again with even greater promises than the first time. That's what we have, this great delegation coming. Oh, these important guys, even offering more. It's like, whoo, that's a huge carrot in front of Balaam. And what was Balaam's response? Well, let's take a look. Verse 18 But Balaam answered and said to the servants of Balak, Though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the command of the Lord my God to do less or more. So you, too, please, stay here tonight, that I may know what more the Lord will say to me. (laughs) What? Well, the first part of Balaam's response sounded pretty good, didn't it? But was it? First of all, Balaam had already received a response from the Lord. You remember his previous previous responses? No, you don't go with them. You don't curse them. They are blessed. God does not change his mind. Prophecy does not change. Depending on how many times you ask. Well, we want a different outcome, so we're going to ask the Lord again. Maybe he'll change his mind. I know. He, when, it's, when it's God's prophecy, when it, God says this is the way it's going to be, that's the way it's going to be. Second, Balaam may have sounded very noble in saying, although he would be offered extreme riches, he said he could not go against the command of the Lord. Once again, God gave the command to not. It should be our decision then to not. It's, it's something to where our will needs to yield to his will. And then we possess it as, as our own. You know, I, I want to do that. I want to follow God's will. And therefore, it, it's not, I could not, but it's, I, what, what is it? I will not. I will not do that. And that really should be our hearts. Our decision is not, uh, you know, I, I I really can't do that. At some point, that has definitely, that has to change for the Christian, the follower of Jesus Christ. 
Because when you say those words, could not, I can't, it's more of like, man, there's a lot of tough rules. There's a lot of tough rules in Christianity that we need to, we just have to follow. So I can't do that. I can't do that. I can't do that. And really the bottom line is, I don't want to do that. My liberty is, I don't have to do that anymore. I, I know that I'm fully content and satisfied in the Lord. And, and, and I will, I choose what the Lord chooses for me. And I trust Him that He has my best interest at heart. He knows me perfectly. He knows where I shouldn't go. And He desires that I would demonstrate my love for Him by the obedience that I have toward Him. That that would be my desire. But Balaam's second part of his response was what demonstrated a weakness that continued in his heart. Maybe, maybe the Lord will give me a little more tonight. Just hang tight, you too. Just stay the night. I'll be with you shortly. And so Balaam goes and seeks the Lord for maybe a different answer, is what he's looking for. In verse 20, And God came to Balaam at night and said to him, If the men have come to call you, rise, go with them, but only do what I tell you. So Balaam rose in the morning and saddled his donkey and went with the princess of Moab. So basically what we see in these two verses is God now prepares Balaam. Prepares him for what? Again, we ask the, cha- the, the, the question, does God change his mind? The answer is no. But it kind of appears that he changed his mind, doesn't it? I mean, he said, he said no first, and then now he's saying, go ahead. Balaam went back to God. The question is, of course, why did he go back to God? Well, God knew, and God allowed Balaam to go with them because he knows our hearts. He knows our desires. He knows what we have there already. There are times when God says no to us, but we just keep insisting. When we know that this is, this is clearly not God's will. It is contrary to His word. And we keep going back. We think that's persistency in prayer, like wrestling with God. We know that according to God's word, there are times that God gives us over to the desires of our flesh. It serves as judgment. What is, what is God preparing Balaam for? Judgment is what he's preparing him for. Of course, he desires, he desires that none should perish, that all should come to repentance. Right to that place to where we are aware of what we're doing and we confess to the Lord and we ask for His forgiveness. That's repentance. But Romans 1, Romans 1 very clearly communicates to us that God at some point may give us over to truly the desires of our hearts, to, to our depravity, so it would serve as, as judgment. He'll give us over. Now, <clears throat> Balaam seemed not to waste any time in the morning. First thing in the morning, he saddled up his donkey and off he went. The thought? Well, not sure. Of course, you know, but Balaam could have, at that point, you know, been excited. You know, it seems like, again, he didn't waste any time. It's at those times that if we insist and the Lord says, 
Go ahead. We, we could get excited. We could say, man, I persevered in, in praying to the Lord and I wrestled with God until He blessed me. I, I didn't let, let Him go. I clung to Him, right? When we very well knew that that wasn't the Lord's will. But Balaam had no idea what was in store for him. 22, verse 22, But God's anger, anger was kindled because he went, and the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as his adversary. Now he was riding on the donkey, and his two servants were with him. And the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. And the donkey turned aside out of the road and went into the field. And Balaam struck the donkey to turn her into the road. Then, then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on either side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed against the wall and pressed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck her again. And then the angel of the Lord went ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right or to the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. And Balaam's anger was kindled and he struck the donkey with his staff. Hey, even the donkey can see. We know that the, first of all, that the anger of the Lord was aroused. Um, so the question is, what aroused it, right? Wasn't he the one that told him, go ahead and go? Well, why was he now angry at Balaam? Because he now is following what the Lord had told him he could do. Well, the Lord had already told Balaam, no, no. But then the Lord allowed Balaam to go, but it was because in reality Balaam had rejected God's command and again insisted, there's that word, insisted in doing what he desired to do to begin with. He kept going back to him. We need to be careful when things seem to be going, quote-unquote, our way, even though, you know, it's not the right thing to do. We need to be careful. It's like there's, there's resistance, there's resistance, and all of a sudden, no resistance. It's like, oh. Hmm. Christianity is, is not a blind faith. In fact, James 1.5 tells us that if we lack wisdom, ask the Lord and He will give it to you without holding back, without making you feel like you're asking for dumb things, a dumb question, you know, he'll give to you without any reservation whatsoever. You know, he, he knew very well. It wasn't that he was without excuse. And so we ourselves, as we dig into God's word and we know God's word, we know the truth. We need to be careful when things seem to be going our way, when we break through and there's no resistance, even when we, especially when we know, of course, that it's not the right thing to do. So the donkey, the donkey was good for transportation. For all of these years, you could say that he had served Balaam. But the donkey, well, he could see or she could see who was standing in the way. The donkey is referred to as she, so, right? What we see in the donkey is a simple yet profound picture of simple obedience versus stubborn disobedience. You see this with Balaam, you see this with the donkey. The donkey was quick to respond to the angel of the Lord. The, the donkey saw the angel of the Lord. 
and responded. He stands in the road, the donkey goes into the field. He stands in the path, the donkey goes up against the wall. He stands before him with nowhere to go. The donkey lays down and refuses to move, completely comes to a standstill, will not move forward at all. Balaam, what does he do? He keeps striking the donkey. The first time, he kind of veers off the road. Bam! Hits, hits her. Second time, goes into the wall. The foot goes into the wall. That upsets Balaam to the point to where he strikes her again. And then she sits down and doesn't move. It's like, oh, you dumb animal, you know? And he grabs and he strikes her a third time. The donkey's not cooperating with him. But the donkey is sensitive to God's direction. Balaam is not. As soon as the angel of the Lord appeared before the donkey, I mean, with sword drawn. It wasn't like it was in the sheath. It was sword drawn. The donkey sees, I'm not going that way, right? Again, the Lord with a drawn sword is before the donkey. I know we're going in his direction. Uh, I know I'm going to cr- kind of crush your foot a little bit here, Balaam. But here we go. I'm not going. He has a sword. I know what his intentions are. In a third time. This is why it's dangerous to judge God's will by seeking, quote unquote, again, open doors. Or in other words, circumstances that seem to be in accordance to what you're asking for. Instead, again, James 5, seek God's wisdom, seek godly discernment. Not every situation is cookie cutter. It's just, it's different at times. We're we're in a day, perhaps, that doesn't match yesterday, even though the situation seems the same. We need to seek God's wisdom, God's discernment. That is found in God's word. What does he say about what you are asking? How would it affect your family? The church you've been called to and serve at? Your time? Does it take you away from what the Lord says is important? What does God's word say that's most important? Well, a very simple verse is Matthew chapter 6 verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these things will be added to you. And and what the Lord is speaking to is everything previous, which are not the extras. There are needs, is what he was referring to. If we were to just seek him first, his righteousness, his glory, his kingdom, his to bless the Lord, he says all these things will be added to you. All of these needs, these just these things of food, shelter, clothing, all of these things will get, be given to you. Just seek him. But then apparently Balaam, he still didn't understand. He still didn't get it. Struck him three times and he struck the donkey and he was very, very angry. Verse 28, let's continue here. Verse 28 says, Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey and she said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? And Balaam said to the donkey, Because you have made a fool of me. I wish I had a sword in my hand, for then I would kill you. And the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey? 
on which you have ridden all your life long to this day? Is it my habit to treat you this way? And he said, No. Balaam, you're having a conversation with the donkey, right? It's, it's, it's comical, right? As we read this, it's like, this is comical. The donkey pleaded with Balaam. He, the Lord opened his mouth. He pleaded with Balaam. Why are you hitting me? Have I ever done this to you before? Have I ever acted this way before? This is not my character. There's a reason why I veered off the road, put your foot up against the wall, and then plop down. There's a reason for that. It's like, you know, I want you to, to reason with me. For some reason, I have Shrek in my mind right now. (laughs) Balaam was so... It's not me, donkey, right? (laughs) Balaam was so angry that he didn't even realize he was arguing with a donkey. So, So beyond being rational. This is the level of anger that Balaam was at. You know, he was... He was in a rage. He was in a fit of anger. So upset that he kept being veered off from the path that he wanted to. I insist. I want to go that way. And you keep going that way. And you crush my foot. And now you stop. Oh, if I had a sword, I'd kill you. Again, Balaam, you're talking to a donkey. Balaam even agreed with the donkey that he had been very good to him. You, you, You have been very good to me. And no, you've never done this to me before. And he agreed with him. And at this point, I think we can safely say that Balaam's eyes were pretty much closed. He was so full of himself that he couldn't even see the Lord. And I sometimes wonder if things, if others see things I don't when I am full of myself. You know, I, I don't see the Lord may not be a, a fit of rage, you know, like anger, you know. But it could be other things that I'm just full of myself with. And others see the Lord when, when I don't. I, th- I think I know the answer to that question. We just need to be careful with that. Verse 31, as we continue. And then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the, the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand. And he bowed down and fell on his face. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out to oppose you because your way is perverse before me. The donkey saw me and turned aside before me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, surely just now I would have killed you and let her live. <laughs> so the angel of the Lord is saying, Listen, your, your donkey, she saved your life. We need to see here who opened the eyes of Balaam. Well, the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey. Now the Lord opened Balaam's eyes to see. Who stood in the way? The angel of the Lord with a drawn sword. Who was this angel of the Lord? Well, this was a pre-incarnate appearance appearance of Jesus Christ. How, How do we know that? Well, it's very simple. Because when he did open the eyes of Balaam, He saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, and he bowed down and fell on his face. He fell down in worship. 
The angel of the Lord did not tell him to get up and stop worshiping him. He received it. That's how we know. Whenever you see the angel of the Lord and you see something like this and he receives what is given to him, a tithe is given to him, you know. Um, that's a great story, by the way. Um, it, it's a form of worship. It's bowing down before him. He's receiving that worship. He's being praised. That's a pre-incarnate manifestation or appearance of Jesus Christ. The angel of the Lord rebuked Balaam for striking his donkey and then made it abundantly clear that Balaam was doing the wrong thing. Hey, listen. The way you are going is perverse. It is reckless. Reckless? What is reckless? Reckless is doing something that endangers you and others. It's not the way you should be going. When the sign says danger, curve ahead. Slow it down to 20 miles per hour. And you're still going 70, 80 miles an hour. Guess what? You're reckless at that time. The warning's there. The signs have been posted and you ignore them. That's being perverse. Why? Because you're acting contrary to the word of God. You're being reckless. And so he rebuked Balaam for being reckless, going in the wrong direction. If the donkey had not turned you away, you would have died by now. The angel of the Lord told Balaam that the direction he was going in was reckless. So what does Balaam do now? Well, he repented, kind of. 34, then Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know that you stood in the road against me. Now, therefore, if it is evil in your sight, I will turn back. The angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with the men, but speak only the word that I tell you. So Balaam went on with the the princes of Balak. What is going on here? What do we have here? So wasn't wasn't this repentance? Kind of seems sincere. Well, let's kind of look at this a little closer. He didn't get it. He said, I have sinned. Okay, that's good. That's true. But then Balaam goes on and says, if, if, it is evil. What did he just call his way? He just rebuked him. He says, your way is perverse. It's reckless. You're going in the wrong direction. Right? And so then he says, if it is evil in your sight, I will turn back. He's still basically facing the direction that he wanted to go in. This is Balaam. This is exactly how Balaam has been talking this whole time. Balaam still failed to be sensitive to the Lord's direction. Of course, the question is, didn't the angel of the Lord just tell him that he had come out to oppose him? Yes, he did. I've come out to oppose you. You almost died if the donkey had not gone in a different direction. Your way is perverse. Well, the Lord didn't need to hear any more. At that point, really, what Balaam should have said is, I have sinned, I have sinned greatly. I, I choose to no longer go in that direction. I will go back. He told, him, told me not to go with them. He told him I was not to curse them. He told me that the people were blessed by you. I won't go, but he didn't do that. <clears throat> so the Lord... Didn't need to hear any more. He told him to proceed, but only speak what he was told to speak. In other words, God gave Balaam over to the desires of his heart. 
his sinful desire, desires and God allowed him to go down the path basically of judgment is what he allowed him to go down. So verse 36 says, When Balak heard that Balaam had come, he went out to meet him at the city of Moab on the border formed by the Arnon at the extremity of the border. And Balak said to Balaam, Did I not send to you to, you to call you? Why did you not come to me? Am I not able to honor you? Balaam said to Balak, Behold, I have come to you. I, uh, or have I now any power of my own to speak anything? The word that God puts in my mouth, that must I speak. Then Balaam went with Balak, and they came to Kiriath Husoth. And Balak sacrificed oxen and sheep, and sent for Balaam and for the princes who were with him. And in the morning, Balak took Balaam and brought him up to Bamoth Baal. And from there, he saw a fraction of the people. So, um, Balaam and his two servants that came with him, and all the delegation, they all finally got to the place where Balak was. Basically, the camp of the enemy. And Balak now confronts Balaam, telling him how uh, he was somewhat offended. You know, you, you pretty much offended me. You know, was I not able to honor you? Didn't, did you not believe that I could honor you, that I would follow through with that? And then Balaam responded, and it sounded righteous, it really did, that he would only speak that which the Lord gives him to speak. And perhaps that was his way of, of kind of getting out of this and that, hey, listen, I'm here, but I'm only going to tell you what the Lord tells me to pass along to you. But we see this place to where finally Balak summons Balaam after some sacrificing on this, in, in this high place, which is a place of worship and rituals. Balak had sacrificed these animals and called for Balaam to come to him and he showed him a fraction of the multitudes of the Israelites. And that's where we stop this evening. And the question is, what was Balaam's sin? Really, what was Balaam's sin in this whole thing? Well, he received the diviner's fee and then he received a little more. It was actually the love of money. You could say, well, I, I can argue against that. Well, not when you read the New Testament and it makes it quite clear. Because in Jude, verse 11, it says, Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Kor's rebellion. For the sake of gain to Balaam's error. So if this doesn't make it abundantly clear, then we can go to Second Peter chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. To where it says, forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor. Very specific. This is the guy that we're talking about this evening. Numbers chapter 22. Who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. So that's why I, I love it when the Bible gives the interpretation of the Bible and it's abundantly clear. That's why we can ask that question and with complete confidence we can say it was the love of money. He transgressed because he loved money. He loved gain from wrongdoing. And for us, I would pray that we would be 
really the bottom line, is sensitive to the Lord's direction. That we ourselves would be perhaps as simple as the donkey. That when we see the Lord and He is right before us, and we know that, that we are quick to take a different direction. We are quick to take a different route. That we don't question it. Uh, question that one way or the other. That we just we just know the Lord's will. That we would insist on going our own way. Learn from what we have before us. And I pray that we may be led by the Lord and by His Spirit truly and allow the Lord to truly ordain our steps and guide us. Only step in where he brings us to, what he brings us to and brings us through and not go one way or the other, not to the left or to the right. And we would be content with that. Let's pray. Father, we just come to you this evening, Lord, thanking you for this lesson that we have received from Numbers chapter 22. And I pray, Lord, that you would continue to speak to us, Father, even after the time that we leave this evening, Lord, that... um, Lord, you would help us to maybe grasp some things and receive them, Lord, to ourselves, Lord, as perhaps warnings and encouragement to Lord to know that you are perfect in the decisions that you make in our lives. And I pray, Lord, that we would never insist on going our own way because that would be reckless, that would be perverse, that would be to be living a life of abandon. Lord, and it's a sin against you. And so, Father, help us, Lord. Fill us with your spirit. Give us eyes to see, Lord, uh, the direction that you have for us to take in our lives, to bless and glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.